You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, y'all, it's Christmas Sunday. This is the last message today to close out the series on the wonder of Christmas that Pastor Cabezi started a few weeks back. So we're going to get into that today, and this will be that specific message to close it out. I just happened to look. Uh, has anybody by chance caught the forecast of what it's supposed to be on Christmas Day? Did anybody notice? I just happened to see that. My wife brought it to my attention. It's supposed to be 72 degrees and sunny on December 25th. I think all the kids said amen, right? Especially, yes, I, I saw uh, she brought a post to my attention. It said, it, it said, uh, Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, the air conditioner was blowing because you live in the South, right? <laughs> so I think on Christmas Day, if the forecast comes to be the same, then we'll probably be remembering that. But what we're going to do today is I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. And as we turn there, we're going to be covering today the last, again, last part of the sermon in the series. And today, I want to preach to you on this subject the wonder of peace with God. From Luke chapter 2, again, where we'll spend our time. You know, life as we know it is full of a lot of wonders. There are a lot of different things in life that you and I would sit back sometimes, our, our jaw drop, and we just kind of be amazed at something we saw or heard. And uh, life being full of wonders is not anything new to us. Some of the wonders of the world aren't just India's Taj Mahal or China's Great Wall, sometimes some of the wonders are some of the craziest, funniest things kids can say, right? And some of the things they come up with, and you think, I could have never thought of that in 10 years. I heard uh, even a a time of a a mom was playing a game of Uno with her little girl, and they were having a great time, and things are going good, until the five-year-old little girl did not decide to play according to the rules. And so eventually the mom was trying to correct her, and she wasn't listening, and she got frustrated, and she eventually would say to mom, she said, Mom, I'm really not cheating. I'm just helping myself win. That's all, you know? Thinking, how did she come up with that? Another mom was vacuuming her room, and she's singing the old hymn, Soon and Very Soon, We're Going to See the King. Many of you have heard of that song, right? Love that song. And she's just singing away, and the four-year-old little boy hears mom singing this, And he gets so excited, he runs to his room to his big sister, and he said, did you hear what mom said? Soon and very soon, we're going to Burger King. And he got super excited about that. And again, they come up with, and they hear different things at different times. You know, we can can go on and on maybe about different wonders and different things that kids can say, but I'm going to tell you one thing for real. When we are at a time that we're at today, a time of which we are on the horizon of celebrating, at least seasonally and traditionally speaking, Christmas on Christmas Day, what we come to realize is that the greatest of all wonders that could ever shock us is not limited to a geographical landmark. It's not even limited to the funny things kids can say. It's really the awe and the wonder that God willingly came to us in skin. I pray we'll soak this in this morning. God came to us in this manner. Brother Jordan read this verse, and this is another way to understand it together. In John 1, 14, he says, The Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, the greatest wonder that has ever happened in human existence that we've ever been able to talk about is that the God of heaven, Yahweh, would come among us in the form of his Son, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come and say, now God's presence has now come among men. We are a blessed people because God has dwelt among us. Amen? And lives among us even now. So what we do today is I want you to look here in Luke chapter 2. And I want you and I to just celebrate with the angels and the shepherds of Luke 2. The amazement 
of what God has done to show his glory in this kind of manner. Go with me there in Luke 2, and let's read together, beginning here at verse 8. The Bible says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is Messiah or Christ, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Another translation, a way of saying it is people whom God is pleased with. What we've got here in the scene is we are, we are kind of eyewitnesses to what the text is saying to us. According to the Bible, the shepherds were doing their normal routine that was normal for them to go out and they watched the flocks. These were lambs and sheep and different animals. They would keep watch over them because these were the actual animals that were going to be used for temple sacrifices. It was very important that they watch them. They're watching them at night, like any other night. But this night is different. This is the night where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to be born. And now while they're out here watching the flocks, then all of a sudden the announcement comes to them. And obviously, the shepherds are shocked. They're, they're captivated. They're terrified. They're a mixture of many things. And they are taken in the scene that is happening. And suddenly, they begin to realize the good news of what this scene is all about. The glory of God has manifested himself to them. He wants to reveal to them what God has done. And when this happens, the shepherds were so awestruck because the Prince of Peace, Messiah of Isaiah's 9, of Isaiah's prophecy, was finally born. Emmanuel, as we say, God with us. God is here. The only holy of holies these people have ever been used to was in a temple that a high priest would go into. On a day, one day a year, they were used to the holy of holies. But now the holy of holies was in a manger, not a temple. The presence of God was there. How incredible to think, if you could just imagine, this announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here to dwell among men, the greatest announcement that's ever come to human hearing is not qualified only for a certain Judean king or some temple priest or a Jewish scribe, somebody of nobility, somebody who has a reputation that maybe would make them qualified to make the greatest announcement that could ever be made. Instead, God was giving us a foretaste of the kind of grace that he was going to be given to people. It came to shepherds. <laughs> shepherds in Bible times, they were known as the outcast in a Jewish society. Biblically, back in this day and time, the shepherds were of such character that was low character because of thievery and many other things, that they were not respected at all. In fact, in a Jewish court of law, if you were a shepherd and you were an eyewitness to a situation that involved a court appearance, the judge would not even listen to the shepherd's testimony because it was not received in a court of law. The shepherds themselves, because of the work that they did, they were actually ceremonially unclean from not being allowed to participate in temple worship. They were outcast. And to think that the very most important announcement that could be given to anybody, this angel and this company of angels, they could have all appeared to a, in, in the temple while they were worshiping. And it came to a priest and he made the announcement. Instead, it came to the shepherds. You know, the lowly shepherds, the perfect Son of God. What a picture of the grace of God. 
the perfect Son of God, born for imperfect, unclean shepherds. Has anybody here tasted of the grace of God? I'm a sinful man that got saved by Jesus, and today I'm glad that I can stand here and be able to say to you, I was like the shepherds, and Christ saved me and cleansed me up. Can I get a witness? Anybody else in here know about the gospel and the goodness of Christ? Amen? Yes. So in this celebration at Christmas, this is what we come down to. This is why the Advent, birth of Christ, erupted heaven with angelic praise, with explosive celebration in this text, because the sinless God of heaven initiated his love for the sinful people of earth includes you and I. We needed a Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 1, even the angels themselves, the Bible says, we won't go into the verse, but it says that the angels of God, along with the prophets of the Old Testament, have been looking for this day when the Messiah would come. They've been anticipating this to happen with excitement and awe and wonder. I mean, the angels aren't even the ones getting saved in the text, and they're praising God like they are being saved. They're the ones excited because they're telling all the shepherds and all the people in the city of David is born to you this day. Messiah, Christ, the Lord is here. With that, with that being said, what I want you to do with me today is I've challenged myself in this, and I encourage you to maybe take the same challenge in a way. Like you and like me, maybe like all of us, it's very easy for Christmas to be very commercialized. Amen. It's very easy to get caught up in the hype instead of caught up in his presence. It's very easy for Christmas to become something that's just like we just traditionally make it certain things. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could at this Christmas time just take a hard right back into the text, pause and stop, and what we'll find here is that this declaration is letting us know how heaven celebrates Christmas and how heaven expects us, the people who have received the peace of God through Christ, to celebrate it on earth. I just want to celebrate it like heaven does, amen? I don't want to come up with my own idea of what I think Christmas needs to look like, and I don't want to get caught up in the things that traditional things or seasonal things make Christmas, Instead, I'd rather just say, let's keep Christmas biblical. Let's keep Christmas, really, what does the Bible say? How do they celebrate Christmas? That's the way I want to celebrate it, if that's the way heaven celebrates. So from that, there are two specific wonders that you and I take from this text to the Christmas tree on Christmas morning with gifts and presents and people and friends and hot chocolate and music and whatever the festivities may be, all of those things are great and nice and fun, but they are secondary to the primary of what this really looks like from heaven's perspective. So let's honor that. There are a couple of wonders that we learn today from the angels and the shepherds, and we do very well to take those wonders into application into our own lives. The first of which is that Christmas as we know it is about the glory of God that should be awing us. When we talk about the glory of God, we see this right here in the text. And I want you to notice in verse 14 again, it's kind of where we'll camp out here for this time. When the angel got the shepherd's attention after he announced it, suddenly this angel in the previous verses is joined with a company The Bible does not specify this multitude of the heavenly host. It is likely an innumerable company of other angels. It's like all of heaven is just gathered together explosively in the sky, I guess, to the shepherds out there. All by the the angel, the glory of God shone all around them. They got terrified. And all of a sudden, he says, wait a minute, don't be scared, don't be afraid. I've actually got something really good to tell you about. And then things begin to change. But when they made this statement, this is the way heaven celebrates Christmas. He says, glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven. 
If we think about this for a moment, about the glory of God, the word we get for doxology, when we're referring to doxology and types of worship, it is the word here for glory. This word, glory, it just simply has the meaning of what is majestic, what is magnificent, what is full of splendor. Think about this for a moment. The holiness of God, the holiness of the glory of God is immeasurable. It, it is a perfection that cannot be improved. It is, it, you can't rival it. It's impossible to exactly imitate it. It cannot be determined or defined by anything outside of who God is. It, it's mind-blowing when you think about the glory of God. In fact, Isaiah the prophet at one point in his ministry caught a glimpse of the glory of God and he describes it like this. In Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's awe and wonder of the glory of God is something that you and I want to share in this morning when we think about the angel saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. What's associated with the birth of Christ is the glory of God and the awe of the glory of God. I have a question. Is there anything, is there any awe of the glory of God in your life right now? Is there any awe of his glory? Just anything that you would describe in that sense, is it something that we are drifting away from? Have we gotten a little distant from the Lord, maybe? And, and maybe we're just, we're kind of in a, in a really crazy season right now of our spiritual walk with God. And, and it may be that we're not wild by Scripture anymore. We don't find ourselves wiping a tear away much anymore. We, we're not, we just kind of go through the motions, maybe. And we just need to kind of return back. I just need, I need the glory of God to wow me again. I need to be wild and in awe of His glory. Just like the shepherds were that night. John Piper put it this way. He said, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of God's holiness. He said, it is God going public with his holiness. God is in a class by himself of infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. We worship the Lord God as Yahweh. He is this God. He is this way. And what I want to encourage us right here is just three different ways that you and I should stand in awe of the glory of our God. Three ways, at least three. And it would be first and foremost because of his presence. Here's what I mean by his presence. Look back in your text and you'll notice when he says this. The angel said, glory to God. But look, what he ha- look how he directed it. In the highest heaven. What is that? We need to know what that is so we can know what this looks like in our worship to the Lord God. So in the Jewish times, when they referred to the highest heaven, you and I think of heaven as a singular word. The Jewish mind would interpret heaven in a plural way. Not to say there's more than one heaven, but they look at the heavens a little differently than what we do. Because back in Bible times, The highest heaven was a reference to the Jewish understanding of the heavens in this sense. The first layer, if you will, of heaven was looked at to the Jewish mind as the atmospheric heavens. It was referring to the skies and things of that nature. And and then the Jewish mind would look at the second layer of heaven as the astronomic heaven or the second layer of the principalities of angels and things of that nature. But when a Jew referred to the highest heaven... When that statement is made repeatedly in the Bible, not just in this passage, it is referring to not the atmosphere, not the astronomical sense. It is talking about the very abode of God. The very presence of the Shekinah glory of God. The very place where God lives. The presence of the Lord. That's the highest heaven to the Jewish mind. And so when the angels are saying this, this is what we're looking at together. Apostle Paul caught a glimpse of this 
highest heaven, third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12 and 2 says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. King Solomon pointed to it when he built the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, but will God indeed live on earth? He said, even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. It was when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, in the triumphal entry that the crowds in Jerusalem were shouting like the angels in this text about this highest heaven. When Jesus entered the temple, in Matthew 21, 9, the Bible says, then the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When we look at this together, what we understand is that the, the, the highest heaven, because it's referring to the very presence of God, when the angels are celebrating the birth of Jesus, glory to God, in the highest heaven, what they're saying is the very presence of God is now dwelling among us. What I want you to think about with me is that God's presence in our lives is not reduced to something emotional. Instead, it is awakened to someone special. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Christ is now with us. And therefore, the angels want all the people of the world to know Christ is now born here. The presence of God is with you. But it goes a little further. When Jesus entered the temple, we also understand that we are in awe of the glory of God. Not just because of his presence now with, with us, but it's his presence within us as well. It's through his temple. We glorify God and stand in awe because of his presence and because of his temple. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus Christ entered the temple in Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, this was huge because God's glory had filled the original Old Testament temple and Solomon's temple. The glory of God had filled the temple. The very presence of God was there. But then... After some time passed, and you get to the book of 1 Samuel, the glory of God departed from the temple. Now the presence of God departed from the temple of Jerusalem. And they were all upset, and they went into captivity, and a lot of things happened. Because sin had dominated Israel, God's presence left. And years and years and centuries have passed. And now... Jesus Christ coming back into the temple is the highest heaven presentation of the presence of God through the Son of God. God's glory returned to the temple. The presence of God was back in the temple of God. And so this is the reason why there are Hosanna on the highest heaven. We're recognizing he's coming here. He's here. It's the realization for you and I to say the presence of God is with us. But the presence of God is within us. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. It says, so glorify God with your body. So there's the celebration at Christmas in all of the glory of God is because of his presence and because of his temple, now the temple of God is not limited to one location where God dwells, but now the temple of God is mobile in the sense that God's presence within God's people is going all over the globe, amen? And you and I are able to represent that as God lives within. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God lives within God's people now as the presence of God within them. So everywhere we go and whatever we do, this is why we preach the gospel. This is why we tell people Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. We're giving testimony and witness because the presence of God is within. And we want people to know the gospel and the good news of Christ. And so guess what? We keep announcing it even today. This is who this Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us. 
We stand in awe of the glory of God because of his presence and because of his temple living within us, but because of his reflection as well. What I mean by that is, think about this, our only acceptable response as sinners to the sinless God of heaven is this. The Bible repeatedly says this, give glory to God. Over and over, we are admonished to give the glory to God. It makes sense, right? Because a sinner has nothing with which to give God except sin. I have no glory within me to give him. I have no goodness that he'll accept. I'm a wretch that he's made his treasure. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I, I don't deserve anything from God because of my sin. It separated me from God. But this is the beauty of Christmas because what God has done is that he's reconciling what's separated to bring it back. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He's the Savior who saves us from our sin to bring us back into relationship and fellowship with Almighty God. We celebrate that. And what we've got today is the understanding of reflecting his glory in this sense because I have no glory to give. It's his glory that he gives me through Christ that I give back to him. In the sense of that, as the image bearer of our creator, as we reflect the glory of God back to him, to give glory to God is to reflect the glory of God. Psalm 29 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In Luke 17, 18, he says, when Jesus cleansed the lepers, all 10 of them, and then only one came back to thank Jesus for making his leprosy healed and go away. This is the question Jesus asked when he returned. He said, didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Everybody catch this. That, that's the response the Samaritan, uh, the, 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 the one needing to be cleansed, was not able to give Jesus anything but his leprosy. So when Jesus gave him healing, he was giving God glory. You see what I'm saying? We don't have anything except to give Jesus our leprosy, our sin. So whenever Jesus Christ does something in our life, he initiates that. When we are able to respond back to him, we don't come up with something add extra to his glory. It's just you are glorified by me giving glory back to you. Psalm 115.1 says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your mercy and because of your truth. We stand in awe with the shepherds and the angels. We learn from them the value of what it really means at Christmas, that Christmas is about the awe, about, about the glory of God that should awe us. And what causes us to be in awe, we don't want to lose that awe. We don't want to drift from that awe. We want to return to that awe. We want to stay there. And we want to be in awe of the fact that, listen, I don't want to get desensitized to the fact that the living God dwells within me. That Christ died for me and rose again and sent his spirit. And now the very Godhead lives within. And I get to be his representative and get to be able to reflect his glory. Amen. That's the cry of the church. That's the mission of the church, to glorify God through Jesus Christ, God's own son. Buried, died, rose again, lives forever. King of kings, I'm so glad to belong to him. How about you? At Christmas time, we should stand in awe of the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And second of all, peace on earth to people God favors or people God is pleased with. You know, y'all, I don't know about you, but I am glad and grateful for the peace of God in my life. Over and over again, I can think back. I can even remember one time when I was younger. When I first got married, Jillian and I, almost 20 years ago, First year of marriage, learned, learned a lot. Amen? One of the things I learned is I didn't know how to use a drill. All right? Now, since then, I've learned a few things about some tools and done a few things and projects. But let me tell you this. I can remember a situation that we were coming up on our one-year anniversary, and it was a couple months before, and spring had come around. We were married in May, 
and she wanted me to hang up a seasonal flag for her. This is just a spring flag. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have those? Well, we happen to live in a brick home. So to use a drill in brick, you got to know a little bit about what you're doing. And there's a difference between a drill and a hammer drill. Can I get a witness? Amen. There is. And I didn't have a hammer drill. I had a regular drill. Well, I go ahead and begin to use the drill. I got the drill. I didn't have one. I didn't grow up that way around tools, so I had to learn. Humble beginnings. Got the drill. Got a drill bit. Got all my things set. Anchor bolts, screws, pilot holes. I was ready. And so I get everything set up. I'm outside. I got the flag. It's a beautiful day, by the way. I'm out there getting things done. 20 minutes later, I have drilled my first one-inch hole. 20 minutes. My arm was limp like a noodle. I was sweating. Without her knowing, I ran to the house. I kept getting water and coming back. And I was drinking it down. A little over an hour later, I get all four holes drilled for the flag that it called for. And I'm telling you, I was worn out, exhausted. She comes out. She sees it. I have already cleaned myself off. And she's like, oh, honey, I love it. Good job. I'm so glad you put that up. I love it. Now I have another one I want you to do. She would eventually give me another project that I would need to work toward to help her out. And of course, in my mind, in my heart, I'm just dying on the inside, right? I'm just going, oh, no, this can't happen anymore. I was dreading it until I got to the other project, toughed it out, and I realized to my shame, the drill had a forward button. I had been drilling in reverse the entire time. Do you know I almost needed therapy over that, y'all. It was crazy. And I was thinking, no wonder this thing won't go in. Let me tell you, when I figured out the forward button, y'all, I had revival. I had the point where I started telling my friends who had drills, did you know that thing has a forward button on it? Seriously. I was blown away. And I look back and I'm thinking, you know, of course, I've learned to use them now. But, man, how you have to start off when you don't. I did, I did not know even though I was at my wit's end, I did not know what I had available in my hands. The drill had already had all the right stuff. The problem was, I didn't know how to use it. It had everything I needed, but I didn't know how to use it. I want to tell you, when we go through life and we try to make something work so hard our way, And there's actually a right way it's designed to be used. But there's a right way to make it work. That's how the peace of God works that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Because it's our Lord Jesus that said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Today, right now, if there's anyone here that has some broken areas of your life that you do not have God's peace right now. You're like me, you're at your wit's end, trying so hard to make something work that's designed to work a different way. Life does not make sense, nor does it work the way God is glorified the most, the way he created us for his glory, until we live that through his purpose, through him and his will, through Jesus. And today, that's where we are with the angels and the shepherds. This is why they were in awe of the glory of God in the highest heaven. And the the angels said, but wait, that's in heaven. What about earth? On earth, there are people. And these people are benefiting. God's getting the glory and people are getting the peace. God's getting the glory through the birth of Jesus. And people are getting the peace of God because of the birth of Jesus. There are three specific ways that you and I are attracted to the peace from God. And if there's any of us that are broken in a way right now that we're really, really at a point where we're like, you know, I just don't have God's peace about some things. I want you to listen carefully to understand, first and foremost, the one that is the most important of all is that we have We are attracted to the peace of God because Christ's peace confirms our salvation. Salvation means we get to be in heaven when we die. 
and not go to a devil's hell when we die, separated from God. It means that Jesus will save us from our sin so we can be disciples here and make a great difference for his kingdom, tell people about Christ, make disciples, live for his glory, and then one day he lets us exit from this world and go home. The salvation that we have is confirmation because of the peace that we have from Jesus. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that I could shout forever, it seems like, is that because I have been saved by Jesus, this is the reason why we keep on praising and shouting and worshiping every Sunday. Because perpetually we don't want to get over the salvation of Christ. We are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 20 says, And through him, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on heaven or on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Isaiah the prophet said it this way in chapter 53, verse 5. He said, But he was pierced. Because of our rebellion, Jesus was pierced, crucified because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Jesus, and we are healed by his wounds. Just like we sang in the song, when I was your foe, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. Enemies to the cross. Think about it. Before, if any, for those in here that know Christ, you've been saved and born again. You remember what it was like before you got saved, and I certainly do as well. And I remember living a rebellious life apart from Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, when he saved me, one of the greatest things I got to go back to when I was 17, when he saved me, is recognizing the more I kept falling in love with Christ and started soaking deeper in the grace of God, knowing what the grace of God really was, it would almost take my breath away at thinking about how close I came in so many times of losing my own life because of my stupidity. And I would not have been ready for eternity. I I didn't know the Lord. I was rebelling against Him. So the war is what's going on with every human being that is apart from Christ. It's life, trying to live life without him. It's rebelling against him. It's insulting to him. And today, the greatest joy that we have with the peace of God is that we have made peace with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And Christ has made that possible. He took our beating. He took our thorns. He took the spikes. He took the cursing. He took the spit. He took every mockery that we could ever have placed on him. And every time he was receiving it, he was doing it out of love for you and me. Because he cared so much that you and I would be saved. He loves the peace that he gives. Because peace means the war ends. I want to tell you that while living a rebellious lifestyle at war with God as enemies to the the cross of Christ, Jesus ended the war by doing the unthinkable. He died the sinner's death for him to make peace with God. Anybody at peace this morning? If you're at peace with Jesus today, you know the joy what it is, right? To say, man, I'm so glad that the war is over in my soul of living lost in rebellion against God because Jesus Christ has saved me. Christ's peace, peace on earth to the people who obviously get saved The Lord is pleased with saving faith because it gives glory to him because it means his son has been received and saved them. But there's also the ways that we are attracted to the peace of God is because Christ's peace also controls our worries. Part of this Christian journey, even right now in this service, is likely that there's no telling what you may be carrying this morning. Part of the journey of this life is it's rough. Atrocities happen and tragedies, bitterness and situations and anger and mistakes. And sometimes you and I are the one that made the, we cause the pain. And sometimes we're on the receiving end of that pain. And we bring that to church. We bring those hurts and those heartaches and, 
And many of the times when we're living this life, we find ourselves worried about a situation to the point of where it's wrecking us, to the point of where we can't seem to get ourselves under control. It's all we think about. It's what we wake up with, what we go to bed with. And today I want you to hear this. Christ's peace controls our worries. He helps us with our worries in the way that he can help them stay under control and at bay. The Bible says in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything but everything and everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, the peace of God that passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Listen to this. In Christ Jesus, amen? The peace of God guards us in Christ. Why? Because Christ is the one who authors the peace. It's his peace. He's the one that died our death and rose from the dead so we can live his life. It's his peace that he gives to us. In fact, he even says in John 16, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Here, this is yours. I died for it. I'm risen for it. This is yours. It's, what, it's, it's the peace that Jesus had to live the will of God. It's the peace that he had from the Father. It's the peace he, he could say, not my will, but yours be done. How do you say that? Unless you're at peace. Here, psst, I'm going to give you my peace. You're going to have suffering. The world's going to be unfair, and it's going to be tough. But you'll have my peace for your every anxiety. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus is teaching us. And as we listen to what he says, he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You see, when we are at peace with God... Worry is under control because Christ is over its power to defeat us. It very well may be that when somebody has a worry, and right now, if any one of us has something that we are truly, admittedly worried about. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 that he says, he teaches us, do not worry. It's against what God wants for us to be consumed in worry. Christ's peace controls our worries to the point when we are able to release ourselves and say, I'm not going to carry that. I've got to give this to Jesus because he gives me his peace. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Why would God say that in the scripture if it wasn't evident that God's people sometimes carry burdens that they don't need to carry? That's why he says it. Cast your cares, worries, burdens upon the Lord because he cares for us. It's God's way of letting us know in Scripture that it's easy to pick stuff up along the way and instead of giving it at the feet of Jesus, it's easy to carry it along and you got baggage and next thing you know, you got more baggage and, and then man, it's like you've lost your joy and every day is not meant to be a defeated day for the Christian because Christ has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And with our worries, they are what they are, but they do not need to stay active. They need to be controlled by Jesus. But we've got to release those to him with all our heart, totally owned to him, walk away. And it's his, and he can handle what we never can. Amen? Christ's peace is attracted. We are attracted to the peace of God because of the confirmation of our salvation and through the control of our worries, but y'all, it's also because it complements our joy. It is amazing. This is what attracts us. When somebody's at peace with God, they got the joy of God. They got the joy of Christ in their life. It's amazing in Scripture how those words are used in complement of one another. Check this out. The Bible says in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and what? Joy. Help me out. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, look at this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. There it is, joy and peace. As you believe so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 
What does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and it seems to be that one of the attractive things about the peace of God is that when somebody is at peace with God through Jesus Christ, their salvation in Jesus is purchased. They are a child of God born again. The war is over. I'm at peace with Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And every time I go through life after I'm saved, I will have situations that will cause me burden and worry, but I'm able to cast those to Christ. And he gives me his peace that passes all understanding. And I find myself at peace with Christ. The joy of the Lord overflows, y'all. Today, it's not dependent on circumstance. It's this joy that we have from Christ. Joy is like a flag flying over the castle of our hearts that is announcing to everybody who you get to talk to, hey, King Jesus, he's home today. He's living inside of me, and he's Lord of my life. Christ is Lord. When we're at peace with God and worries under control, the joy of the Lord overflows. Today, the joy of the Lord is a part of being at peace with Christ. I'm going to ask you this as we go into this time of just seeking the Lord and the will of God be done. Check this out. So it, it would definitely be unfortunate if we celebrate Christmas unbiblically. Celebrating Christmas is going to involve, I'm sure, on many fronts here this morning. Probably would be very normal in your home as it will be in mine to read the Christmas story, maybe even before one present is opened. To get together with people around Christmas and have festivities and gatherings and joy and laughter, and that's great. Family time is, is amazing. But one thing I want to tell you is this. This is a time that what you and I want to do, and, I'm, and, and I say this in all seriousness, and I'm from the bottom of my heart, I want us to take away the our normal routines are with that time and if we could just visit for a moment the context of this passage and to think about before there were Christmas trees and traditions there were just a bunch of rugged shepherds that needed the grace of God in the middle of a field that the glory of God showed up and when they went the Bible says they ran with haste to Mary and Joseph Jesus. That was the first Christmas rush ever recorded, y'all. They ran with haste. But that Christmas rush had nothing to do with buying gifts. It was the gift that was given to them. Our hurriedness and our concentration and our focus at this time celebrate Christmas let's let's remember heaven celebrates it with giving God the glory in the highest heaven and with the peace that people have now with God through Jesus Christ's son that is in itself the concentration of Christmas that needs to be the nucleus behind whatever God's people are doing with Christmas time Imagine if we go into our Christmas celebrating, if we haven't already, and we adopt this conviction, this mindset that this is the way heaven celebrates Christmas, and that's the way I should too. Let's not make it something that it's not. Let's just do it the way God does it. If right now you are at war with God because you're lost without Jesus, today please know Christ has ended the war for you, friend. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead and he lives. Oh, if I could convince you, I would, but the Holy Spirit's got to do that. If you are lost without Jesus Christ, I not only beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come to know Jesus. Repent of sin. Don't try to fight anymore. It's a war that you will never win. I never could either. No one in here who's saved could ever win that war. But Christ can make peace for you to be at peace with God so you're not fighting against God but you're at peace with him 
through his son, Jesus. Repent, believe the gospel, be saved. But if you're a Christian, that you're at peace with Christ, but you might say, I got some worry. I've got some challenges in my heart that I really am consumed by. I don't have any joy, Jeremy. My joy is really kind of depleted. I'm a little bit in defeat right now. I've had some discouraging things happen that I've kind of let it get the best of me. I encourage you today. Christ calls you and I back to himself. He wants to give you this peace. The peace that he's given you at salvation is that same peace, multifaceted, that can help you through every worry, every discouragement. And right now, that peace is important. So right here today, it would be awesome if you and I, because Christ has the victory, if you and I would lay these challenges at his feet, leave this today in prayer leaving with his peace because Christ has already taken care of it so will you do that when we sing this song in a moment at invitation you'll hear the lyrics and they're amazing and powerful think about the passage where we've studied together apply the text and the truths of the verses and take that into the song that we're about to sing and use this altar if you need it for prayer and worship in your pew whatever it may be but let God get the glory what to say except that Jesus Christ is Lord we just can't thank you enough that you came and left the portals of heaven the very third heaven highest heaven and you you shared this glory with the father Jesus this is the glory you shared with him as you said in John 17 and now you shared it with us God no wonder John the disciple was blown Return us back to the awe and wonder. If it has faded in our hearts, strengthen today. Your people, help us see your glory in this way. And may we lay these things at your feet. Lord Jesus, save the lost, revive the saved. Your will be done, Father. We ask this in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and let's worship him. Thank you.